Next up is uh, Barry Dawes, and I, I think uh, if anybody is um, uh, going to talk about uh, uh, in, in investing in the uh, uh, in the current climate and uh, making money out of the um, current situation, it's uh, Barry. So it's very appropriate that we've got him uh, here today for our Gold Investment Day. Barry Dawes. Thank you, Marcus, and thank you, um, Peggy, for um, allowing me to come along with that today. Um, I'm going to give you a view of the resources sector, as I see it. I had a 30 years' experience in the resources market. Uh, I used to manage funds at BT Australia. I used to be the head of resources research at Deutsche Bank and also at Macquarie Bank. And uh, marketplace securities has been around for nine and three quarter years, and we'll have our 10th anniversary in, in January um, of next year. Um, I'm in the business of making money for my clients. Um, I've raised about $650 million for um, mostly small cap resource companies. And um, that covers about 300 transactions and about 150 companies. So what I'm trying to say is I'm a practitioner in the business and I really um, like making money for my clients. To do that, I've got to know what's going on in the world. Uh, I'm a geologist by training. I've done some economics down at ANU and um, Generally speaking, I'm, I'm always looking at the markets. Um, we did we have a disclaimer, uh, which goes with these presentations. I get income from, obviously, buying and selling shares and from, uh, from capital raises. Um, I have a, an AFS license, which allows me to do that. Now, um, as I say, I'm a practitioner. Uh, I, I do make money for my clients. We've, um, had, we've had a number of companies that where we've taken from sub-10 million dollar market caps to over a billion dollars. So I like to think that I, I know my work reasonably well. And, um, and I, I sort of laugh at myself that uh, I'm in, in Martin Place, opposite Macquarie Bank. And uh, we like to think of ourselves as the other millionaires factory in Martin Place, but our clients are millionaires. Um, <laughs> uh, if, if you get a couple of things that you make 20, 30, 50, 100 times your money, um, people get rich. And that's what we try and do. So we're always looking out at what's happening and um, trying to get a, a macro view of the world, but also a very much hands-on micro view. Now, we've got a pretty positive outlook for resources at the moment, and it, it covers a whole range of issues, a whole range of issues, and it covers the 30 years experience that I've had in the markets. Firstly, um, you can make of it how you wish, whether it's a bank or whether it's um, a bailing out uh, uh, motor vehicle companies or whatever. We've got global monetary and fiscal stimulus underway, and that's there, and it's real, and it's happened, and it's affected the markets. At the same time, we've got an extraordinary number, extraordinary amount of cash on deposit earning next to nothing. And this is a, probably the most important driving uh, factor of um, markets um, all around the world. We've got China and these other BRIC, and keep in mind BRIC, it includes Indonesia now, 230 million people. People um, at this stage, is very, population uh, is, is very, very important in, in what uh, my view of the world is. We've also got the breakdown of the US dollar and the T-bond markets, which is coming. It's, it's, it's happening uh, and it's going to come 
Um, I think some of the, the comments that Dan Denning has made and also David uh, this morning will reinforce that and almost every one of you here uh, expects that to happen too. And I think it is going to happen in a, in, in a very uh, significant way over the next couple of years. At the same time, um, and, and another reason that we're here, gold is reacquiring that reserve status. I just see it everywhere I go. And uh, it is fundamental, fundamental to whatever view we have of the world. And, and commodities still have major supply issues. I'm a geologist, um, and, and I'm, I'm funding companies which are going out to explore or develop. And when we've got things like 40 million tonnes, just like 40 million tonnes of aluminium production every year, we've got to go and find a lot of bauxite to keep that, that running. Uh, when we've got 18 million tonnes of copper consumption every year, uh, you've got to go and find um, resources to replace the, the aging mines that are, are, are running down now. And um, peak oil, uh, it's real. Uh, some people might scoff at it, but let me tell you it's real. And uh, in, in Australia, we've got uh, money being spent on exploration, which is going to produce results. Now, coming back to that cash thing, this is courtesy of the bank credit analyst. Uh, again, this is. Um, this is a few months old, but basically what it says is this, this is a cash mountain as a percentage of the Wilshire 5000 index. Now the Wilshire 5000 index is a, uh, a very broad um, US index of about 6,500 stocks, and it's got a capitalization um, at the moment of around $13 trillion. So it's $13 trillion capitalization, but the cash in US bank deposits and cash management trusts in, in March of this year, was around 95%. So the cash on deposits equal to that equity. Now, this is very, very important in understanding where capital flow. Capital flows determine all the markets. Where it's going to and where it's coming from determines the levels of the markets. And in great contrast to the amount of cash that's up there, the, the average rate of return on the short-term instruments is about 0.2%. So, fabulous. Uh, position to be in what to be in cash earning 0.2 percent. Now, <laughs> now when I say the global stimulus is working, uh, it is working. I look at the markets, uh, primarily at the markets, read a lot of people, read a lot of people's work, but look at the markets and let the markets tell me what's happening. 100 million people working in the markets are a hell of a lot better than 10 Wall Street economists. Let me tell you. So. And it's very interesting, commodities made all their lows in November and December of last year. Really, really important to, to understand that. Resource equities and China and Hong Kong equity markets made their lows in November, December. The broader markets made their lows in March. And the, and the resource sector didn't confirm those new lows. So that basically is telling you that the resource sector has got relative strength and it could go further. We're seeing inventories being rebuilt in China, as I'm sure most of you were aware, um, has been buying up uh, a lot of inventory uh, ahead of its, its growth. Um, and I'll show you some of those numbers. And it's not just copper and zinc, it's also iron ore and coal. Unemployment looks as like if it's going to continue to increase as, as the world goes through this, this uh, change. Um, but it's a lagging indicator. Now, I'm not Pollyanna, I'm telling you what the markets are telling us, okay? And so we're here to try and make money. 
Now, the bond markets, in my view, are definitely breaking down, and we've got a major risk of inflation. Not wage, wage push inflation or anything like that. It's a matter of increasing the number of dollars or whatever pounds um, in circulation, and uh, relative to uh, the economy, um, it's just not going to work. So we're going to see gold in a major revaluation. Now, this is uh, the long-term oil price. Um, and what I want you to note here is that the, the low came in that October-November period and the pullback um, in March when the equity markets made their lows uh, was at a much higher level. The same thing for copper. Uh, it made its low and it's interesting that copper prices around about £290 uh, it recently made a, a new rally high last week. Obviously, it's pulled back a bit just into that support, but the commodities themselves still look as if they're in quite um, strong uptrends. Now, um, the ASX, in its, in its wisdom, uh, sold all its indices to uh, S&P about 10 years ago and destroyed all the long-term um, indices. A really dumb, a dumb, dumb thing that they did. But if we use BHP as a proxy, um, in, in the, the big sell-offs last year, um, it really only got back to its, its long-term uptrend and, and it's well above that. And BHP is quite an outstanding uh, company, very strong balance sheet, very, very strong cash flows, and there's no reason why BHP and all its assets can't do um, uh, significantly better going forward. Um, Shanghai Index. This also made its low in uh, the 31st of October. Um, and uh, it, it rallied up. No real pullback into the, into the major lows that we saw in the US market, the Japanese equity market, the oil companies, and, and uh, the, the UK market. Um, it's basically showing that these things are quite strong. The other thing which is really important about this thing is that there is no way, and, and I assume most of you have got some sort of technical um, analysis background, there's no way that this market is overextended. Now, I think that's, that's very important to under, understand that. Um, markets go out with a, with a bang, not with a whimper. And I don't believe we've, we've seen anything like a, um, a, a lower from there. Uh, this illustrates quite well the, the low in December and, the, and, and then the low in, in March that the resource sector did not confirm. But again, this, this market does not look overextended to me as I look at it in terms of the market. Now, the S&P 500, um, a different market. You can see, again, that March low versus the uh, November, December low. Now, this is one of my favourite charts. It's uh, something which I've been um, showing people for some time, and I've got it wrong. <laughs> but uh, it, it's really important to sort of understand what this is telling us. Now, the, the last major low in long-term US interest rates, and then this was the... 30-year treasury up until 1977, so the 10-year tre treasury, then became the 30-year, and I might have a little bit of about um, a year when they, they weren't using the 30-year treasury, weren't issuing anything, but what, if, if we see this, uh, it gives us a very good understanding of, of what might be happening. Now, we had 39 years of rising interest rates, so these economists that tell you, oh, we're going to see 25 basis points increase, um, in our, our basic lending rates, um, and then it's going to come down or whatever. They're just not getting the big game. 39 years, 39 years they rose, 
and 28 years they've fallen. It's really significant what's happened. This low here is, a, is the major, um, it's the last gasp in the, in the bull market in bonds uh, that is now reversed. So we, we have the, the Vietnam War and Lyndon Johnson's Great Society from 1965 that brought inflation. Um, we had the election of Ronald Reagan um, and, and, and interest rates peaked in the first quarter of 1981 and uh, they've basically been falling ever since and, and this is the major reversal now in that market. Interestingly, um, David was talking about the manipulation um, of the markets and the bond vigilantes. Um, from 96 to 98 or so, uh, was deflation. Now those people think we're going to get a deflation. Hey, we've had it. We've already had it. And we're back in 96, 98. Amazing, isn't it? For no reason, no reason whatever, the $8 got smashed, the copper price, the gold price, the oil price, all got trashed for no reason, because the underlying consumption was going up like that, and suddenly someone decided to smash it all down. Maybe it was unwinding of, uh, or destruction of the Soviet Union. But um, this, is, this becomes really important because the low in the commodities was, was October 1998, over 10 years ago. Now, it's really interesting. Those people think we're going to go through something in the 30s again. Just think about what, what what was going on in those days. We probably had 40% of the uh, world's working um, population involved in primary industry, agriculture, fishing, um, forestry, mining, um, uh, whatever. Um, and today, how much is it? How much? Three. So we had major shifts. So what was what a, a service uh, economies, post-industrial economies in, in, in places like the UK and the United States. And that's, that's important to understand about where we go from here. Now, um, so we, we had disinflation, a period of declining inflation, deflation, where the actual inflation rate went negative, and we've had reflation, and now we're going to have inflation. This is where the US Federal Reserve Board has been, and other governments have been playing around with interest rates and, and have extended this decline. Um, for longer than it should have been. Now, from our point of view, China is leading the way um, in where it's going. They've got a major fiscal stimulus running, but it's the basic industries. Now, I'm in the business of basic industries. Copper, coal, iron ore, aluminium, gold, all the de demand for these basic raw materials. And so I have to look at what's happening in the world in respect of those things. Not GDP. GDP numbers are fudged, they're late, they're revised, they're put together by economists, and, and for my... <laughs> I can't use it. So give me tons and give me price every day, and the market with 100 million participants is telling you. Crude steel production, this is fascinating. This will, I think this is an extraordinary thing I'll show you in a moment. Um, look at restocking of major uh, commodities and and China's been aggressively acquiring global resources to use that $2 trillion of um, uh, US dollar assets, or, or external assets at least, um, and gold reserves that they're buying that. Now look, this is, I've been a steel industry analyst for many, many years, and, and what's happened in China has just been extraordinary. China produces, at the moment, about 620 million tonnes annualised. 620 million tonnes per year of steel. Now, this, this, so this is the United, so this is 
China's monthly annualized steel production. That's the United States. The United States fell over 40% over during, during the second half of 2008. The US is producing 55 million tonnes of crude steel. China's doing 620. What is it telling you? The US is not important. In the basic industries, it's not important. Cop consumption. China takes 30% of the world's copper. The US is 10%. Really important to understand that. And what we say for uh, copper or aluminium or steel or nickel or, or, or whatever, they're all the same. Um, Chinese iron ore imports. Um, it's growing. It's held a lot higher than last year. Uh, things slowed down a bit during this, and they didn't send a few ships. But look at the increase since then. And it's all, all, uh, uh, all a matter of uh, Chinese steel production for their, their domestic uh, um, markets. Now, if we look at steel, we've got some um, fascinating stuff in the long term. Um, as I said, I was a steel, in steel industry analyst for many years, and watching steel industry was like watching grass grow, paint grow. <laughs> you know, if, if it grew a half a percent or one percent a year, uh, you got excited. And I remember quite distinctly when um, BHP wanted to put its Western Port um, hot strip uh, mill in, and everyone, all the analysts and the commentators were scared. Take the phone, but sell half a million tons of extra steel. Costco, Pohang um, Steel Corporation of, of um, Korea, wanted to put two million tons of new capacity. The world was having apoplexy. <laughs> and that was during here. But China was adding 60 million tons a year. China, it's just, it, it's, you can't conceive. This is how big it is. You just can't conceive. We're looking at sort of six, 800 million tons a year, and then China's doing 600 itself. <laughs> now, I'll just throw this in. This, um, like most of you, you like to code and you like to do gold eagle. Cliff Droke is a, um, a bit of a crazy man, but I like a lot of the stuff he does. But all these little, I, I've seen this sort of stuff coming from other people. Um, the green shoots sort of are happening. Uh, it's not showing up in, in um, uh, it's not showing up in, in terms of um, new new jobs and whatever. But that, that economy there is is turning, and so I think that's sort of helping to um, underpin where the U.S. equity markets go. Now, energy energy um, was very very popular in the 70s and 80s. It's going to be a lot more popular. Uh, it's going to be in the press uh, and a lot more, not just because of things like. Um, global warming and other issues. Electricity demand is, is moving strongly all around the world and we're still getting conversion from, from things like um, um, coal-fired boilers to now electric um, power and, and so, so we're getting a conversion. Electricity is increasing its, its share of total um, energy cons uh, production and consumption. But energy sources are really stretched all around the world, and, and peak oil is limiting production. Um, and so energy security is becoming a, um, a major political issue. Now nuclear energy uh, is going to be extremely important, and uh, oil and gas exploration, believe it or not, is about to boom on shore in Australia, I think. And this is my, uh, this is my number two favourite chart, and it's one that you should all sort of print in your mind. It can tell you the politics, 
um, for probably the next 20 years. What this is, is uh, energy consumption by fuel type. I'm sorry, I've got the wrong label on the top. It should be energy consumption by fuel type. Uh, red is oil, this is gas, coal, nuclear, and hydro. Now this is the United States, 40% is liquid fuel. So clearly the United States economy is dependent on oil. A bit of gas, a bit of coal, but a reasonable amount of nuclear. We go to Europe, a lesser amount on liquid fuels, a big amount on, on, uh, on gas, and, and uh, no prizes for saying where the gas comes from. Mr. Putin. Now it's interesting, if we take France out of that, we actually end up with them producing 80% um, of its electricity from nuclear. So if we take that out of Europe, this falls uh, and this increases. So if you like, Europe's got real problems about energy security. Japan, 25% liquid fuels, it's trying to increase its nuclear, uh, it's got gas, but at the end of the day, 4% hydro, 96% dependent on imported energy in an energy constrained world going forward. Ah, oh, those, those people who think that Australia with its 1.5% contribution to world greenhouse gas isn't going to make any difference. 70% of China's coal energy comes from coal. 3 billion tonnes a year. It's funny, I went to a conference in, in, in Beijing and they were talking about um, their coal production and they, and they were talking about how oh, yes we will do 0.6 billion tonnes this quarter. They don't talk 600 million tonnes, 0.6 billion tonnes. Um, oil is, is this here and growing, gas is small, that's got to grow. Nuclear is tiny, but that's going to expand dramatically. Uh, Australia, we're reasonably well positioned, we've got um, a lot of our own oil, we export condensate, we import petrol and gasoline. Um, gas is 21% growing and we've got good reliance on our, our low-cost um, coal. And so if we look at the average, we can sort of say, say well, Australia's got a bit more in coal compared to the average, uh, lower level of nuclear. We've got to have nuclear um, uh, going forward and we will get nuclear. Well, for my lifetime, I think that we will. Now this is peak oil. This is, this is a lovely chart. Um, this is put out by Absodus, the Society of uh, Peak Oil. Um, what this basically says is that this is production, and, and these are discoveries. Now, uh, everyone knows we have 85 million barrels a day of consumption. That, everyone knows that number? Yes. We do now. Okay. 85 million barrels a, a day of consumption. Now, in 12 days, that's a billion barrels. Okay. Now, since 1996, the world has found about 10 new fields that are more than a billion barrels. 10 new fields with more than a billion barrels, and total is about 70 billion barrels. 70 billion barrels. Uh, a billion barrels every 12 days, two years supply. Okay? So, what this is, this is our production, and we are now, because production is, in, is, is higher than new discoveries, we're running down inventory. We are running down reserves. So there's no way, and not only that, OPEC, particularly in the Middle East, have lied. They've lied. Everyone should read Max Simmons' Climate in the Desert. 
and basically this guy used to go and do the audit of all the oil, all, all the oil reserves for the U.S. corporations that, that owned Aramco, and they would submit to the U.S. SEC when, when it was uh, nationalised and became Saudi Aramco. They had 115 billion barrels of oil. And very interestingly, about six years later, without doing much exploration, they suddenly had 160 billion barrels of oil in, in Saudi Arabia. About five years later, but that was 260 billion. Where did all this come from? And Max Simmons has gone through uh, uh, all, all the work through uh, various petroleum engineering um, magazines and, and, and assessed all this. But basically, uh, it's all about. Um, uh, an oil field called Gawal, which, which is about 55 billion barrels of oil, and that, that produces about 60% of uh, uh, Saudi Arabian output, and that's starting to decline. Um, Cantarell, which is the second largest oil field in the world in, Me in Mexico, was doing 2.4 million barrels a day uh, in 2006. It'll be 400,000 by the end of this year. So the big oil comes from the big fields. You find 20 million barrels here and there, and nothing. Even a billion barrels doesn't mean very much. So what, what this says is that we've already seen peak oil in terms of regular oil, and we really have, and we're relying on things like um, uh, deep water oil, and we're relying on natural gas liquids, and uh, various other things. But at the end of the day, um, oil fields sort of start off like this and decline to about 40% per annum and uh, that's telling you it's not going to happen. So we're going to find oil is going to be more and more expensive going forward. <coughs> now, currency turmoil, this is important in terms of where we're putting our money and, and where, we want to, where we want to go. The US dollar and the pound are breaking down. Um, and the Chinese yuan is going to rise. The A dollar will be above parity against the US dollar. Now, that, I'm sure you've all noted that the Australian dollars made uh, new 25-year highs against the pound. We're going to parity against the pound. Okay, uh, that's my view. Um, and we've got those Japanese debt problems, which um, I, I think Dan um, pointed out. That's a real sleeper. It's only about three or four years out. They're going to find it. Just not going to be able to finance 200 instead of GDP. So some interesting things. So the commodity currencies are, uh, are going to rally. Now, have you been watching what's going on in South America? Now, Chile, budget surpluses, like, like we were on the Howard year, budget surpluses, trade surpluses, no debt, big reserve, big future funds. Peru, same thing. Colombia, uh, uh, Argentina, if we paid all the debt, but it's got some dumb people running the show at the moment. And, and Brazil, Brazil has also reduced uh, its debt quite substantially. It's, it's funny though that they've they got about 40 or 50 billion of US treasuries. Instead of paying the debt back, they, they bought the US Treasuries. But Brazil's in a, in a great position. There's 600 million people in South America. 600 million people. It's 1.3 billion in China and you know, a billion or so in, in India. So there, there are other parts of the world that are doing things. And that, as I was trying to say um, to our friend over here, that these things are, are really quite significant. And um, the US with 300 million people is going to see the dramatic reduction in living standards, but the living standards of these other countries are going to improve. And at the end of the day, gold and silver will be the best currencies. Now, um, you've all seen this US dollar index, which is um, which is a terrible index. Many of you have looked at it, 57% made up by the euro, a bit for the yen, a bit for the Canadian dollar, a bit for the Swedish kroner. 
Um, it's a, an unrepresentative uh, index, but what it suggests is that um, against the major currencies, or those so-called major currencies, um, the US dollar is, is declining, and I, I think it will just continue to decline um, in a fairly managed way for a while, but, but then we'll have a few problems a bit further out. Um, this care of the chart store is a, a broader uh, index of, of, of many other currencies. So the US dollar is still very strong against many currencies, um, but it's, it's turning over and uh, I, I think it's going to come off a lot of these long currencies. Now you, you, you've all sort of seen what's happening to this in the short term. There's a bit of a rally underway at the moment, but I can't see it getting through around here before it comes off again. And, and when we look at the bonds, uh, I, I don't think that there's, I don't think we've got very much time. Um, now the Chinese yuan, it, it's clearly been, um, it's creeping up, and I, I think we're going to continue to see this uh, creeping up uh, over the next few years as they as they decide they don't want to go down with the US dollar. Now this one's the Agar. Um, looking at this from, this is from 1969, um, I think we're certainly going to get up, up here, and I think we will certainly go up to the, the levels we saw in, in the early 70s. Nothing particularly dramatic about that. And this one, the Agar against the pound, um, we, we got up to uh, 57 and a bit, um, and uh, I, I just think that we that the pound is in really deep doo. And um, they've got no manufacturing industry, they've got no resources. They're importer of oil and gas. Um, they're doing quantitative easings. Brown sold their gold. Um, it's they've had six quarters of uh, a recession. It's just not fun. So. When we look at our resource stocks, what I've found generally is that um, the gold price is what drives Australian resources. When, when the US dollar gold price is going up, uh, our resource market follows. And, and generally, the other commodities follow gold. And we've got a, a, a really interesting upturn in the gold sector, both in terms of activity, in terms of production, new, new, new projects, and um, uh, exploration, and uh, that's pretty interesting. Now, mine supply ha has been falling. World mine supply has been falling for the past 10 years, and uh, the main reason for that was South Africa declining. China's now the world's largest producer, and uh, we've got uh, Australia, the US, uh, South Africa uh, up in the sort of 250 and 300 tons, and generally. Uh, those things have been declining, but Australia should see an increase in production next year for the first year since, since 1997. So I think that we've got, um, uh, and everyone's familiar with, with the issues of buying gold coins or gold bullion, what sort of premium we've got to pay for, how long it takes to get, um, it, it, it's still there. So I think we've got quite significant upside. Now looking at the gold price, um, we have <coughs> taken out the 21st of January, 1980, high rate $87, and um, we're going, this is quite extraordinary, but here we are, we're, we're 10 years in a bull market. The low was, was in March of, of uh, 1999, which is after the bottom of the oil price, but 10 years, 10 years of bull market. And I go around and ask people in the social uh, 
um, the business environment. So, how many gold shares have you got? How much gold have you got? None. You didn't know. Gold? What's that? Ten years of bull market. Ten years of bull market. Can I not up the way I bought? No. So we've got a long way to go. Long way to go. Now, it's interesting. We're playing around with uh, some of these indices. Um, the Philadelphia gold index, which is not necessarily the best one, but um, it's just amazing when I look at it as a sort of market analyst, stockbroker. Um, you know, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, and one comes two back, three sideways, three steps up, three sideways, three steps up, three sideways, um, and I thought I thought here were off of money, and then we got smashed. And uh, but it's interesting, it's it's recovered most of the way back. Now, what that says to me is that that market has never ever been overbought. There's no speculation in that market. It's been climbing a wall of worry for 10 years. And you read the, the Kit Codes and the Gold Eagles and that's all those sorts of blogs and there's angst. There's angst amongst all the, the gold people. And it is very frustrating because we're not getting a flow on in gold prices. We'd love to see that we know is coming in. And yet, every time we get smashed by our derivative um, fellow from JP Morgan and all that sort of stuff. But hey, it's a bull market. Now, the other really interesting thing is, is if we take that gold index and divide it by the gold price. We're trading today at a huge discount to the average. So, gold's at an all time high. Gold stocks are only okay, but they're, they're the it's sort of at a huge discount, so people don't believe it. They're not on board. Five minutes, Barry. Now, I've, I've got this little chart um, uh, last week, which is by uh, Eric the Group from Jim Sinclair's Mind thing. And this is just fascinating. Go back to 1921, and it's the um, it's an S&P Gold Index re remodel. But it's extraordinary. There was, uh, after the, the, the revaluation of gold in, in uh, the 1930-31, um, these things rallied very strongly. They went sideways for 27 years. We've gone sideways for 28 years. That same 28 years is while we've seen declining interest rates. So, um, very strong correlation with interest rates and gold price and the gold sector. So, basically, what that says is we've got uh, a big move coming in in gold equities. Um, and again, with um, attribution to Eric, the group, um, the gold price is actually leading the equities, which is interesting. So Australian gold, in looking at the Australian gold index, um, been significantly rationalised in the past decade. Uh, about 60% of Australian gold production is owned by foreign miners. And um, as I mentioned, we're going to see production up uh, next year. And exploration funding will expand and expect to see some significant new discoveries. And the asset value is still severely discounted, so they're really cheap. Australian gold production, as I mentioned before, was fabulous. Reliance here we saw in the mid 80s. Gold price peaked in 1979, and that's how long it took to respond. And, and gold price, gold production has been declining uh, for 10 years, but will start to pick up next year. Um, we're going to see a lot of fun here, uh, and this is expenditures. Um, they were quite strong in, in, in 2008, obviously in 2009, slowed a bit, but they will pick up again. So, conclusions we've got. Gold suggests that the inflation, the monetary inflation is ahead, um, and these 
monetary inflation and pressures are continuing. Um, resource stocks are discounted, energy prices, and uh, now my controversial thing. Uh, anyone here has heard of Elliott Way? Yep. Anyone not? Anyway, look, Elliott Way or Idiot Way, as I call it. Idiot Way, The guy put this thing out for me. Idiot Ray Fearist. Uh, uh, it just made you feel horrible forever. Um, so stop, stop reading it. It's not make money. Um, anyway, if you think about what the Elliott Wave is, it's, it's, it's basically market mood. And the first wave is disbelief, second is pessimism, third optimism. People buy the dip of it and see opportunity, then we're going to it. Uh, and then we get a false bottom, uh, an ill-based value, and pessimism again. I say to people, well, hey, the markets last year obviously finished something. Did we have euphoria? It was euphoric last year when the gold price went to $1,033 and the gold price went to 147 It was euphoric. No. A few hedge funds took BHP to $50 and a few other things, but small cap resource stocks were down there, the big caps were up there. No euphoria, no market rent, no wide participation. Who thought last year crash was a great buying opportunity? I can't wait to get in the market. None. No. So, did we have optimism? Oh, I can tell you we didn't. I did 13 IPOs, more than any other group. One group did 13 IPOs in the resource sector in 2007. I had all but one of them I had to sell. I had to get on the phone, hey, you want to buy this stuff? Normally in the bull market, everyone wants to stop. Give me stock, give me stock. I want to share. And the, and the brokers fight over it, they really do. And so, did we have some pessimism? Was anyone pessimistic? Last December, January. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate book. And of course, before pessimism comes disbelief. And um, I can tell you, institutional investors, big forty billion dollar fund. Look at three stocks, three resource stocks. BHP. Oh yeah. What way? What Woodside and Newcrest. Three stocks. Gives them gold. Gives them oil and gas. And gives them everything else. No second liners. No specs. Nothing. And as, as I said, uh, we had a lot of trouble selling stocks, so the public wasn't in there, and the institutions were in there. And guess how long this thing lasted? Ten years. Oil price bottom in October 98, the gold price bottom in March 99. So, and where are we now? We're right there. We're doing a bit of pessimism at the moment. We've got a bit of Bit of optimism, no one believed it for a while, but now they're all such. Uh, but none of the markets are over, over extended, in my view, we're here. That's where I think we are. Now, our recommendations you've got to have good stocks, overweight gold, perhaps some caps, lots of uranium, lots of exotics, and other fun things. And I'm going to end up with this one. This is the Philadelphia Gold Index, XAU, and the $8 since 1993. It doesn't get much better. <laughs> so where's the gold price going? Up. Where's the gold stocks going? Up. Where's the A dollar? Up. Where's the US dollar going? Down. The pound? Down. China? Up. Middle East? North Africa? North Africa is really growing. All the new gold projects growing. South Africa? Basket case. But other parts of Africa are interesting. South America growing. India, China, and all these other places. It's optimistic, I thought it's positive. It's, uh, and that's what I think. Thank you.
thank you very much indeed. That was absolutely fascinating. Um, uh, while um, Troy is, is, is setting up, we've got uh, a few minutes, a couple of minutes for some questions. So if anybody's got uh, questions for Barry, yes, there are. Rudy. Rare birds. Yes. That wasn't up there, but I think that's... I, no, I said exotics. Mm -hmm. And you'll see ARU and Linus and Tolkien. Good place. It's a good place. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I think we've all thought about that for a long time. Um, I go to China uh, two or three times a year. Um, I've spoken at a few conferences there, and, and we've got uh, some investments up there. Um, it's a mining project, so it's sort of looking at these things all the time. I get the impression that uh, the, the Chinese just basically want to have the raw material. I mentioned before that there's 18 million tons of um, copper production every year, and the long-term growth in copper from about 1900 is about 4%. And that basically need, means we need 700,000 tons of new capacity. And when you've got things like Estland here and Chichester a big million ton copper mines, you know, if, if they don't produce, they're down, they're down 5 or 10,000. Sorry, five or ten percent, fifty, hundred thousand tons of it, uh, and it's really, really difficult for a mine to maintain its capacity. So I think they're saying, "Hey, I'm going to buy it anyway. I'm going to store it." But you know, when you see what's happening in that steel side, the number one demand seems to be pretty rapid. The steel numbers are really important because they're, they're tons, and there's no economies involved, and uh, and steel companies don't build inventory. They can't afford to say, if they haven't got all this, they don't produce. Sorry, mate. If I could just build a bit on Rudy's point, because I think it's a very instructive one if we're going to talk about uh, Chinese focus into the future on buying resources and rare earths, that area where the Chinese already control around 96 97% of the market. These are the new metals, the eniums, the lithiums, and the all the thoriums and all the bits and pieces that you need to stick in your catalytic converters and your plasma CDs and your new smart technologies. And, um, and we have in Australia, as Barry just mentioned, three well-known projects, Arapura, uh, Linus, and... Uh, oh, sorry, Alcane, yes, out of data. We've seen a good recovery in the share market in the period since March for most areas. It's interesting though in rare earths that despite that and against the background that China at one point threatened to curtail exports of their own uh, rare earths and really got some chatter going around the world. In the last couple of months we've seen, uh, uh, well, a case of Linus that was selling a month ago for 90 cents. You could buy it on Friday for 45 cents. It's gone back 50 percent. Uh, Galaxy, a bit out of our deal, but dealing with lithium was over $2, $2.20 I think it paid, and it's going out of $1.30. So if we're seeing the Chinese move to put effort into buying renewable resources in Australia, it's intriguing to me the area where you expect them to be putting the greatest focus in terms of the future market products are in fact currently allowed to slide in classes. I'm just welcome to comment on why that might be the case. Um, I mentioned that the participation rate in this market, the market, resource market, is very, very low. Um, 
then the interest rate tracks. And um, it's really important. It's, it's important to understand that, um, the implications. Um, if, if you assume that these were going to be disinflation, deflation, and then um, from about 19, up to 87 crash, it was all set from 1990 onwards. You just think about it. If anyone was a CFO or a manager or a chief investment officer or a manager, let's say he was 30 in 1990, most of his career he's been involved in falling interest rates. Um, and, and the guys who made power structure made all their money out of the banks, or they made their money out of infrastructure, investing in those sorts of things, or, or whatever. They didn't make their money in power based out of the resource sector. So there were no, there were very, very few resource sector people who had any influence in investment management in this country. We might have a trillion dollars of, of superannuation funds, but it's not sure, but the currency do really like, or most of it's in banks, uh, or, or the big here. There's nothing, there's no real expertise. There's no real expertise still in the broking industry or the investment banks. Um, so people don't understand these things. You know, outside of the very small portion of, of, of people, um, they have no idea. No idea. They're more concerned about what national trade banks are going to do this or not. Whether the interest rates are going to be kicked up or down, what, what impact it's going to have on miners. It's just the way it goes. Um, there's no participation, there's very, very little understanding. Sydney used to be the financial capital of the resource sector for this time zone. There's nothing. I did. I'm not nothing. You know, we, we had 10 people. 20 people. Well, you've got a monopoly on the market. Sorry? You've got a monopoly on the market. <laughs> very well, very well. Well done. <laughs> we'll wind it up there, thanks. Thank you very much indeed, Barry. <laughs>
some, yeah, some quality uh, gold producing companies. So we're going to go back and have a look at how those stocks have done, I guess, since, uh, since I wrote that article. Then I'm going to follow that up with a, uh, a demonstration just showing how I use gold nerds to arrive at those, uh, those five companies. Uh, then I'm going to quickly go into uh, some key information about the spreadsheet and some of the key features. Then I'll close things off with another research demonstration, which I'm hoping will start to bring maybe uh, get everything together. And then I'll very quickly uh, talk about why I think uh, a subscription in gold nerds is a very worthwhile investment. So with that said, uh, this presentation is going to be a little bit different, whereas everyone else has been standing up. I've sort of got to use the laptop a bit, so you're going to see me bobbing up and down a fair bit, but uh, I'm sure it'll work out okay. So how does Goldner's work? What Goldner's does is it takes publicly available information for over 300 companies that are gold-related, and it combines it with Microsoft Excel to provide a really powerful research tool. Spreadsheets are a very efficient way of sorting and organising large quantities of information. They achieve this via two key functions. The first one is filtering, uh, the second one is sorting. But just a quick question, how many of you are familiar with Excel? Okay, that's good, so that's the, uh, the large majority. What Goldmanus does is it turbocharges these two functions with a customised scoring system. So what I'm going to go into now is just briefly into these three functions and just explain what they are. Uh, what is filtering? Filtering enables you to customise your research according to uh, parameters that you deem important. Let's say, for example, you wanted to search for gold mining companies with a resource of a million ounces plus and a company that also was uh, producing gold at uh, under $500 an ounce. What filtering would enable you to do is to drill down to specific companies that meet those two criteria. So it's a very powerful function and what it does is it just enables you to, uh, I guess, generate a useful shortlist that meets your, uh, your investment criteria. So in saying that, what is sorting? Sorting allows you to display your list of companies from highest to lowest, or vice versa, for any parameter you see fit. So in our previous example, you could, uh, you could sort your information from largest gold resource to smallest, or from uh, lowest cash costs to highest. So it's just a way of, um, I guess, uh, presenting the information in a, in a way that's going to be useful to you. Customised scoring. This allows you to place a series of numbers next to factors you deem important when researching gold stocks. Each company is then assessed according to these weights and given a score. The total score can then be used very effectively to compare companies. Now I'm not going to go into this in too much detail now, but we're going to get to it quickly uh, when I start my dem demonstration. Excuse me. Okay. Like I mentioned earlier, back in May I wrote an article called How to Scan for Quality Gold Producers Using Gold Nerds Pro. It can be found at my website on uh, globalspeculator.com.au. That article demonstrated how I use Gold Nerds Pro in my day-to-day -day research activities. Using the, uh, the Mayo 9 version of the spreadsheet, we arrived at our top five gold producing research stocks. Now I have a feeling this slide is going to come up a little bit small, but I'll, uh, I'll talk you through it. The uh, five companies that we came up with are listed on the left-hand side of that slide. The companies were Lion Selection, Troy Resources, Silver Lake, Kingsgate, and Tribune Resources. 
And what I've got on the right hand side is a list of the top 20 Australian gold producers. They've actually been sorted in highest performing stock to lowest. And um, the point I want to make here is the research stocks that we identified using Goldeds Pro have put on about 39% in the five month period since I wrote that article. If we compare that to the average of the uh, top 20 Australian gold producers, they've averaged a gain in that time of about 21%. So while it's been early days, I think the results are quite encouraging. <clears throat> I've got the stocks that we, uh, we ended up selecting in orange in that right hand uh, comparative list. And what you'll find is four of our top five research stocks featured in the top seven performing gold producing companies in that comparative list. So I think those numbers are pretty, pretty compelling, but uh, yeah, I've got to warn you, it's early days, so at this stage it looks encouraging. So what I'm going to do now is just get into the spreadsheet and show you around a bit as to, as to what's in there, and I'm going to give you uh, a demonstration of how I arrive at those five companies. So there's going to be a little bit of interchanging uh, from PowerPoint to Excel, so just bear with that. Alright, first, uh, first screen that you met with uh, in the Goldnet spreadsheet is a disclaimer. As much as I'd like to skip the disclaimer and just get into the uh, nuts and bolts of the spreadsheet, I am required to just read some of the key points, so I'll quickly do that now. I'll, I'll make it as brief as possible. While we are taking great care in compiling the information in the spreadsheet, we do not take responsibility for the accuracy or any opinions expressed in the research or any error or omissions. Information in Goldnet's publications, which includes this workbook and the Goldnet's website, is general and is not intended to constitute advice, whether legal, financial, accounting, tax, investment, or any other kind. The past performance of any company mentioned by Goldnet's does not imply or guarantee its future performance. Goldnet's does not know and is not taken into account the specific needs, investment objectives, or financial situation of any reader of this publication. That's it, enough of the disclaimer. Accept that. And the first sheet uh, you get into when you open the spreadsheet is just an introduction page. It'll just give you an overview uh, of the spreadsheet and uh, all the various attributes of it. There is an in-depth uh, PDF user's manual that comes with all our products, and that gives you, um, that'll give you more than you, you need to know uh, about, the, uh, about the product. Uh, for those of you who haven't used Excel before, information is stored in sheets. Uh, those sheets are represented by tabs that you can see on the bottom of the uh, bottom of the screen. Uh, the three main sheets that we'll be operating in today are the scoring sheet, the customization sheet, and the gold stock sheet. Note the gold stock sheet probably looks a little bit intimidating at, uh, at first glance. It's got all the data that we uh, we store for all uh, 300 companies. So this tends to be the sheet that you uh, spend most of your time in when you're doing your research or using the product to, to undertake some research. But I'm going to get back into it uh, uh, quickly. But I, for the first step, I just want to, uh, in this demonstration, I want to go into the customization sheet. There's one factor that I change in this. Uh, that's the mineable gold. What mineable gold is, is an estimate of what the company can realistically mine out of its reserves, resources, and any potential answers. I'll go to it a little bit later as to what potential answers are, but for the purposes of my analysis, I like to concentrate on companies' reserves. The main reason for that is reserves have a feasibility study that, uh, that back up the economic viability of a project. So I tend to concentrate my analysis on looking primarily at reserves. So what I'm going to do in this customization sheet it's just changed the uh, number that's next to the resource section to 20. 
And what that means is our mineable gold is going to be calculated by taking 100% of the reserves and 20% of any resource that's over and above the reserves. The uh, potential, I like to leave it zero to be ultra conservative. That's the only thing I changed in the customization page. You'll notice on that same page there's uh, a couple of other pieces of information. There's a currency section and a metal prices section. So the spreadsheet draws on this information when it calculates, uh, does its various calculations. So it's important to have the latest, to use the latest metal prices obviously in the latest uh, exchange rates. So you can simply upload, update those by, uh, by pressing either of those two update buttons. On the right hand side we've got a country risk section. This assesses uh, different regions for political risk associated with doing business in those regions. Uh, I'll mention anything in this customization page can be changed, but what we do as researchers we, is we assess a company's projects according to where those projects are based geographically, and we come up with an indicative uh, country risk uh, number to, I guess, yeah, just to represent the political risk of, of the particular company. But like I say, if you disagree with, uh, with any of our, uh, our numbers in there, the highest the number, by the way, the uh, the higher the perceived risk, so the lowest the number, lower the number, the lower the perceived risk. But yeah, if you disagree with any of those numbers, you can simply change them. Next step in the process is to, I'll just move the sheet there, hold on, is a scoring sheet. Now it's this scoring sheet we briefly looked at before at the uh, start of my presentation. This scoring sheet allows you to set some of the key parameters that you consider important when you're investing in gold mining companies. You'll see this, what, this weight section that's on the left-hand side here. You've got the choice of either entering your own numbers into that section, or you can use some customised uh, uh, presets that we've, uh, we've set up that come with the spreadsheet. I probably don't have the time to go into each of those. Oh, by the way, those presets are in these columns, A, B, and C. So if you want to apply any of them, you just hit the copy button, and what will happen is the scoring system will... Uh, will uh, yeah, cells in that, weight, in that weighting system will populate. In column D, I've got my own personalised scoring system that I like to use, uh, and we'll use that for the purposes of the spreadsheet. It was as per the article that I wrote back in May. So we'll apply that quickly now. And by hitting copy, you can see now we've got a, number, a series of numbers that have populated that weight section. So I'm going to briefly give you an overview of what my scoring uh, system uh, is all about, I guess. I like to see companies with strong balance sheets. So you'll notice there are numbers next to the cash and investment section and the liability section. So what that means is a company is going to score higher if it has more cash and investments and other financial assets relative to its market capitalisation. In the liabilities, we're looking at companies, score, companies that are going, to, are going to score higher if they have uh, fewer financial liabilities, uh, less hedging, like many of you, I'm really bullish on the gold price going forward. So when I invest in gold mining companies, I want to make sure that I invest in companies that have full exposure to the gold price going forward. So I have a preference for less hedging. Uh, preferably, I'd rather see no hedging. But uh, So I've got a number next to that. So that's another area I consider important. Mineable gold, we looked at how uh, that's been calculated in the spreadsheet in that customization sheet. Mineable gold, um, yeah. Companies that have more mineable gold are going to score are going to score higher relative to uh, to the other companies. EV per mineable ounce that's one of our uh, valuation uh, valuation indicators that we use. The lower the EV per mineable ounce, 
the more attractive bar that company is on a on a valuation basis, and it's going to it's going to score higher uh, the lower the EV per mile allowance. I'm going to get into these areas in a little bit more detail later on, so I'm going to skim over this fairly quickly. So the company has more production ounces. It's going, to, it's going to score higher. Another uh, valuation indicator we use is total cost per ownership. And the lower that number is, the better. And um, companies that have a lower TCO are going to score higher. Again, I'm going to get into what TCO is a little bit later in the presentation. Country risk, I've got a small number in there. I'm not averse to investing in, uh, in riskier regions. But if you're comparing companies and you're analysing companies, you still want to take that political, political risk factor into, into account. So that's the, uh, they're the areas that I consider important when investing in a gold mining company. So we've entered those parameters into the scoring system. Next step is to show the top scoring companies by hitting this button. spreadsheet's gone and done now is it's taken those scoring weights that we've set and it's applied them to all the uh, gold mining companies that are in that gold stock sheet. So what it's then gone and done is it's gone and ranked those companies from the highest score to the lowest score. So obviously you're going to be more interested in the companies that score higher. They're going to be the companies obviously that are going to meet more your, uh, your investment objectives if you like. At this stage we haven't applied any filters so this list is going to change. The top uh, ranking companies you can see is Lion Selection Group. On the right side of this page, you just get a, detail, a few extra details about the, the company that's ranking the highest. So in this case, it was uh, Lion Selection Group. We're going to go into the gold stock sheet where we're going to start applying some filters. This is the uh, second last step, I guess, in, the, in this first demonstration that I'm, uh, I'm doing. Uh, you can turn on your filters by hitting this button in the top left-hand uh, corner of the screen, filters on and off. When you turn on your filters, you see these little drop-down arrows that show up uh, in every column. Sorry, what I didn't explain to you is all the companies are listed down the left-hand side and all the pieces of information that relate to those companies are listed horizontally across the top. And that's the general layout, I guess, of this uh, gold stock sheet. Right, and the colour coding we're seeing in the left-hand side, gone, the dark blue, light blue, is that telling us anything? Yeah, it is. If uh, one thing I didn't uh, go into in the customisation sheet, you'll see in the bottom left-hand corner there, bigger companies, that is, companies that have a market cap greater than $100 million are going to get a dark blue colour. Companies that have 40 million, market caps of $40 million to $100 million are going to be the, uh, the lighter blue colour there, and so forth. I guess you get, you get the idea. So smaller cap companies are your light uh, or your sky blue. So saying that, we go back into the gold stock sheet. Next step is to set some filters. So the first filter I'm going to, I'm going to set is going to be in the status column. What the status column represents is the most advanced development stage project in the company's portfolio of assets. So this stands for exploration. D stands for development, and P stands for uh, production. So development is any company that has a scoping study or a feasibility study at the very least, well, a scoping study at the very least. So to apply a filter, we simply just hit this drop-down arrow. We're going to apply a custom filter. And we're interested in any company, remembering that the search we're doing at the moment is for producing companies. So what we want to do is we want to filter our information so we're only looking at companies that have producing assets. So we're going to hit contains. 
and then a P for producing uh, producing um, assets, and we hit OK to apply our filter. So what that's uh, gone and done now is it's gone and eliminated any companies that don't have producing projects. So we had a list of 299 companies to begin with. You can see on the left-hand side that list has been whittled down to 46 as a result of applying that filter. So the next filter I want to apply is in the current production section. Current production, as the name suggests, represents the uh, annualised production of the company. I'm only interested in companies that can produce a minimum of 20,000 ounces of gold a year. So I'm not really interested in the rats and mice companies that are producing anything less than that. So my next filter is going to be in this column. And I hit custom. And you'll notice there's an option here is greater than or equal to. So I choose that option. And then I type in 20 for 20,000 ounces. We apply that filter. And we've eliminated any company that's uh, not producing at least 20,000 ounces a year. Last but not least, the last filter I like to apply is in this uh, shares column here. That represents the number of shares the company has outstanding. I personally, when it comes to advanced gold companies, I have a preference for companies that essentially do more with less. I like to see companies have a tight uh, shareholder, a shareholder base, and I've done a fair bit of research in this department, and I've arrived at an arbitrary number of 300 million shares. Typically, you find companies with less number of shares outstanding have less dilution. They have, uh, when good news comes out, there seems to be a tendency for those companies to find it much easier for their share prices to rise. I'm sure you, many of you investing gold mining companies out there get as frustrated as I do when you, you find there just seems to be, with some companies, endless amounts of capital raises. And what each of these capital raises do is it really dilutes uh, shareholder wealth. And unless that money is going into productive means that's going to grow shareholder wealth, it's a little bit akin to a fair currency, really. The, the purchasing power of money falls as you print more and more money. If uh, companies that raise lots and lots, have lots of capital raising don't invest that money into uh, productive means, the value of your shares fall as well. So in saying that, I like to set a filter for any companies with less than uh, 300 million shares. That's a cutoff I've arrived at. I've actually brought the research with me as to how I arrived at that cutoff. So if any of you are interested in uh, seeing how I arrived at that, uh, that number, feel free to uh, see me after the presentation and I'll run, run through it with you. But we choose is less than or equal to 300, the 300 million shares. And what you see is we've got our list now from 299 companies down to 14. So these are the companies that I'd consider interesting from, I guess it's my own, obviously my own point of view, and, and choosing investment parameters that are, that are obviously important to me. The last step of the process is to sort your scoring column. So that's going to sort your list from highest to lowest. I think it's already sorted, I'll double check that. Okay, so that's going to, you're going to notice there's an S in each of the, uh, the columns. What that S represents is sorting. So you can sort any of those columns of information as you see fit. So what I like to do is, once I've, uh, I've got my shortlist of companies, I like to uh, start with the highest scoring companies and work my way down to the, uh, the lowest scoring companies. Generally speaking, I find the top five companies to be the most interesting, or at least that's been my experience today. And as you can see, those companies are familiar. They're the ones we put up on that earlier slide. The top five companies are Lion Selection Group, 
Tribune Resources, Troy Resources, Kingscape Consolidated, and Silver Lake. So that ends the, uh, the first demonstration. Now I'm sure you, many of you, your heads are spinning at the moment. You're thinking, oh my god, that's, uh, that's far too complicated for me to be able to get my head around. Um, my father's 72 years of age. He never used Excel prior to using Goldner's. And I can tell you, as you use it more and more, a lot of these features become second nature before too long. And uh, he used it up for, after about two weeks of use. He, uh, I was actually quite surprised how proficient he was at, at using, the, uh, using the spreadsheet. So like anything, it's going to just take practice. But uh, I'm sure the second demonstration that I do, a lot of this is going to start to uh, fall into place a little bit more. Excuse me, Troy, can you put in uh, management ownership? Yeah, next, uh, the next uh, version of the product, which will be out in 2007, 2010, will include management ownership. So it'll include insider, insider ownership, which I agree with you is a, uh, is a very uh, important piece of information. So what I'm going to do now is, is just going to step back a little bit and just give you a bit of an overview of some of the key pieces of information on this sheet. Uh, I'm going to turn the filters off. So that's going to turn, hitting this button again is going to turn off all the filters that we just applied. I'm going to sort my uh, list of companies in alphabetical order so I can, uh, I can find specific companies of interest. And I'm going to just give you uh, a bit of an overview of some of the key features. You'll notice there's a button here in the top left, uh, left corner. Update share prices, obviously that's, uh, that's going to be self-explanatory. What that does is it's going to take the latest share prices from Yahoo on the internet. It's, uh, there's a 20 minute time delay uh, on those share price updates. But for the purposes of doing research, obviously a 20 minute time delay is not going to, not going to worry you too much. Just to let you know, we update the spreadsheet for uh, new information once a fortnight, generally speaking. Uh, we have an emphasis on making sure that our subscribers have access to the latest information. And in the second demonstration, I'm going, to, I'm going to demonstrate why that's important. But for now, um, you'll notice these little blue question marks in each of the, uh, the columns. If you ever get lost as to what a piece of information is and what it means, you can hit these little blue question marks and you'll get a detailed description of what you're looking at. So it's just a help function to, uh, to assist you in, uh, in understanding uh, the various parts of the spreadsheet. As you can appreciate, there's a lot of information there, so uh, that function is very, very handy. I'm going to use Resolute Mining as an example to just run through some of the key pieces of information with you. So I'm going to scroll down to Resolute Mining. There's no reason I chose Resolute Mining in particular. It just uh, probably covers off on a lot of the uh, factors that uh, I want to discuss. So I'm going to highlight, I'm going to highlight Resolute Mining so it'll make it easier to see what we're looking at. And the first thing I'm going to show you is if you put your cursor over the company name, you get a detailed description of the company and its key activities. The sort of information that's included uh, for projects is stuff like you know, your resource statement, reserve statements if they're applicable, uh, latest production results for the last quarter, any exploration highlights, the company might be embarking on exploration in certain projects. So our researchers are looking for the key exploration results and usually update the section for those. Uh, the general idea is there's obviously going to be a number of companies that you've never heard of on this spreadsheet. So the idea is you can put your cursor over the company name and by the end of reading that description you should have a pretty good overview of what the company does. Next column of information is the share price. Obviously I don't need to go into that in any more detail. Uh, next column is the number of shares outstanding. We briefly looked at that before when I was doing uh, that demonstration. 
Uh, for Resolute, 347 million shares outstanding. Uh, the next column is option information. If we double click in that, we get a full detailed view of all the options Resolute Mining has issued. The options that we're interested in for the purpose of the spreadsheet are the ones that are in the main. Because what we do with that information is we use it to work out our diluted market capitalisation. So the next area of interest here is the key financial pieces of information for the company. Stuff like cash, investments, hedge book, liabilities and other financial assets. The uh, cash balance is taken from the last uh, reporting period, which is usually updated, obviously, in quarterly reports. But what we do is, if there's any material movements in cash during the quarter or between reporting periods, we like to adjust our cash to reflect those movements. The obvious one being a capital raising, because obviously companies are, are raising money off and on all the time. So in Resolute's case here, we can see, I don't know if you can all read that here, but Resolute's uh, cash balance was updated or was was adjusted for a $25 million capital raising. So they're the sort of typical things that adjust the cash balance. And the idea is that you're looking at at least a rough approximation of what, uh, what the company's cash balance is at any point in time. The investment column in the next uh, column over, if you double click in that, we can see uh, any investments Resolute has in other listed companies. It can sometimes be a useful, useful thing to have a look at. Uh, in Resolute's case, they've got shares in Chalice Gold and Uranium Equities. All this information obviously updates when you update share prices, which ensures that you're looking at the latest balance of what those, those investments are worth. So the spreadsheet's pretty dynamic like that. It's, uh, it's changing all the time. It's uh, obviously metal prices, exchange rates, and uh, obviously share prices change. Uh, the next book, uh, the next uh, column over is the hedge book. You remember we referred to that in the scoring system. So in that scoring system, this is the column of information that it looks at. In Resolute's case, they have a hedge book liability of $160 million. Not something you really like to see in a balance sheet. I know I don't. And um, so that's what that piece of information is. Liabilities, they represent the key financial obligations of the companies. Bigger ticket items are usually uh, debt and accounts payable. Other financial assets, these are the things that uh, the company can readily uh, turn into cash. The bigger ticket items are usually inventory and accounts receivable. I'm not going to go into market cap. Most people understand what a market capitalisation is, but I will say we work out a more accurate market capitalisation by taking into account the in-the-money options that the company has. So it's just a more accurate way of, uh, of working out market cap. But I'm not going to go into it in, in any more detail than that. Enterprise value. This is the key piece of information in the spreadsheet which we use to value different companies and compare the valuations of different companies. I'm going to spend a minute on this because it is an important, uh, important piece of information. You'll see there's a sheet down the bottom here called analysis. If we click into it, we get a really nice diagrammatical representation of what enterprise value is. A market cap counts, uh, values the physical assets of the company and the net financial asset position of the company. When you work at an enterprise value, what you're doing is you're stripping away the net financial assets of the company. So you're looking at you're looking at an approximation of what the market's valuing the company's physical assets at. This is really important when you're comparing companies because you want to compare apples with apples. Obviously, every company has a different financial position. So enterprise value is just essentially a more accurate way of, uh, of analysing the valuations of companies and brings everything back to a level playing field. So that's what that is. I'm going to quickly race through the rest of this column, but I don't think we're going to have time to go through all of them, which 
uh, they'll probably put you to sleep as well. And just before lunch, that's probably uh, not the smartest tack to take. So I'm going to speed through a few of these columns now. Uh, you can see there's a few columns here. Up the top here, you can see we've got some columns for the resource. It's pretty self-explanatory. You've got the company's global resource in that column. Oh, sorry, the reserve. Uh, the company's global reserve in that column. Our resources are inclusive of reserves. So that's probably an important thing to, to note. You'll also notice a potential answers column here. This is one of our, uh, our, our in-house uh, indicators, if you like. And what potential is, is it counts any conceptual resource estimates the company undertakes that don't meet the mineral standards. So they don't meet JAW and they don't meet 43101 if you're referring to Canadian companies. So they've estimated a mineral resource, but it's not, uh, yeah, it's not compliant with the standard, uh, standard mineral, um, yeah, mineral requirements. So we like to count that just to give you an idea of what the company could potentially convert into, say, an inferred resource or a, or a mineral standard resource. Uh, I'll let you know it doesn't include uh, exploration targets. There has to be some sort of drilling or historical work to back the, uh, to back the number up. But yeah, it can sometimes be uh, useful to look at. Mineable gold, we've already touched on that before. At the moment, we're taking 100% of the reserves and adding just 20% of the resource over and above the reserves and not counting any potential. So this is just gives you a bit of an indication as, what, as to what the company could, uh, could potentially uh, mine in the future out of all its, uh, all its resources. Next section over is uh, some key indicators, uh, which are the EV for reserve ounce, EV for resource ounce, and EV for model ounce. This is, these, these indicators are particularly useful when comparing like companies. I can't emphasize that enough. When you use these indicators, the important thing is to make sure you're comparing producers with producers, development companies with development companies, and exploration companies with exploration companies. But as long as you do that, you can, you can get a, uh, a really good uh, feel for, for valuation in the market. Getting into the last few columns here, these tend to be more performance-based columns. Development uh, costs represent the remaining development costs associated with any pre-production projects that the companies are uh, presently constructing. In Resolute's case, there uh, many of you be aware they're building this Yama project in Mali. And um, what you're looking at there, this was back in May, mind you, we're looking at May, May, uh, May data. The remaining capital costs largely associated with Siana were, were 28 million, it was $28 million. Current production represents the annualised production rate of the company. Resolute's case, 283,000 ounces a year. Plan production. Plan production gives you a bit of an insight as to the potential um, growth profile of the company. What it counts as any feasibility study level projects or any pre-production projects. So in Resolute's case here, you can see their growth profile is fairly steep. Siama uh, is a big project uh, if, they can, if they can ever get it running to its uh, feasibility study parameters. It's looking to add 200,000 ounces a year to, uh, to Resolute's uh, annual production. So that's, uh, that's how that number's arrived at. Cash cost, how much is obviously uh, costing the company to pull the gold out of the ground. Resolute's case, $738 an Australian ounce, or at least it was uh, back in May. Now, the total cost per ownership column. This is an indicator that uh, pulls a lot of the information that we just looked at all together. How that's calculated is it takes the EV per mineable ounce, it takes any development costs associated with pre-production uh, projects and works that out per, per mineable ounce and then adds the cash cost. So what this, end up, what this ends up giving you is an indicative 
valuation as to what you're paying per realistically mineable ounce of gold that the company has. And it obviously also counts how much it's going to cost for the company to extract that gold as well. Uh, it's a bit of a crude number, and I'll have to admit that. And the next version, we're going to improve on that number a lot more. But it's still a useful, uh, useful indicator to uh, compare uh, like companies with. And obviously, the lower the TCO, the more attractive the company's going to be from a valuation perspective. So uh, if you see that over the spot price, you as an investor, you really probably have to start asking a few questions. Let's just start ringing a few warning bells that, uh, well, if, you, if you're paying uh, more than uh, the spot price per ounce and investing in the company, uh, you might be better off just buying, uh, <laughs> buying physical gold instead. So, uh, but I must stress, it is a rough number, so, and it'll improve uh, as we release the new version of the product. Country risk, I've already uh, gone over that. Resolute has a country risk parameter of 25, which as you can see is a fair bit higher than a lot of the other companies when you look down the, uh, down the column. The reason that is Resolute obviously does a lot of business in West Africa, considered to be a more politically uh, risky part of the world to do business in. Score, the score is uh, obviously determined by our scoring system which we set before. And that was risky of me, I guess, to go through some of the theory. It's, uh, I can appreciate. I'm an accountant, and I even find a lot of that stuff boring at times. But uh, I just felt it was an important. It was important just to give you a feel for the type of information that this product has to offer. In saying that, we get into something more interesting now. The second demonstration. This demonstration, we're looking to target development stage gold companies and try and we'll try and come up with another top five. Uh, again, we're using May data here, so what we can then do is have a look at how those companies have performed uh, using uh, share prices as we heard at the end of last week. So, first step again is to turn the filters on and off button. We're not going to change any of the scoring or customization. We'll leave all that the same as what it was for the uh, first demonstration. So we've turned our filters back on. First filter we're going to apply is again in the status column. If you remember last time we set a custom status for producing companies, this time we're interested in D for development companies. So we're looking for companies that have a status that contain D. So we'll apply that, uh, we'll apply that filter. And what we're left with is a list of companies with development stage assets. Next, uh, next filter to apply, if you remember we applied a filter in the current production because we weren't interested in any uh, companies that were producing less than 20,000 ounces of gold. We're dealing with development companies, obviously they haven't started producing yet. So we turn to the planned production column and we can effectively apply that same filter in the planned production column. So we'll quickly do that now. We set a customised filter and we're interested in any company that has annual production of greater than or equal to 20,000 ounces. We apply that filter. Last but not least, we'll apply that same filter we applied in the number of shares outstanding column. Again, I like to see companies with a smaller number of shares outstanding. So I customise the filter to look at anything less than 300 million shares. And again, what you find is we've now whittled that list of 299 companies down to 14 companies that I consider worth, uh, worth an extra look. Last step is to, of course, sort out a scoring column. So we're looking at those companies from highest scoring companies to lowest. And we end up with, again, a top five list. This top five list, back in May, I must stress, included A1 Minerals, Conquest Mining, Master Resources, Adamus Resources, and Saracen. 
I want to spend a bit of time on actually the sixth place company, Purses Mining. I want to use Purses Mining as an example as to how dynamic the Goldberg spreadsheet is. Remembering that this spreadsheet was issued in May, I can tell you there were two key developments for Purses Mining that occurred in the following two months. I'm just going to highlight the company now so you know what you're looking at. Five minutes, Troy. Okay, no worries. Um, Purses Mining uh, in the middle of June, so this was this spreadsheet was issued in the, on the 25th of May. Uh, in the middle of June, they raised $75 million by issuing 91 million shares at 82 cents. So I'm just going to update the spreadsheet for that, uh, that development. And this is effectively what a researcher would do. They're going to add uh, $75 million in cash in the cash column. We're going to add 91 million shares in the number of shares outstanding column. And that's, we've adjusted the spreadsheet for the first announcement. Second development for purses, on the 30th of July, they released a feasibility study for their iron brewery project in Ghana. The big change to the spreadsheet as a result of that feasibility study was the conversion of 1.9 million ounces of resource into the reserve category as a result of the feasibility study. So we're going to update the spreadsheet for that. Remembering the resource, uh, hold on a second. Answered that in the wrong column. So we're going to the reserve column and we're going to enter 1.9 million ounces of gold. Resource column doesn't change, remembering that the resource is inclusive of reserves. So they were two key, they were two key developments that occurred for persons in the, in the two months that followed the spreadsheet's issue. So if we re-hit the scoring button, you can see that persons mining has jumped to our number one stock on the uh, on the um, yeah on our list of uh, list of our shortlist. So if you have a look at the score, you can see 499 versus the next score, highest scoring company, A1 Minerals at 425. It was a pretty compelling leap. So what the spreadsheet recognised there was the chances of a re-rating of the share price were probably going to be quite high given the developments that had occurred. And um, yeah, I just wanted to give you this example just to show you why we update our information as frequently as we do. New announcements are coming out for companies all the time. So it's important that our subscribers have access to the latest information so that if things change, they can be on top of it. I can tell you, Persons Mining's share price after the feasibility study was released spent time in a range between 75 cents and 94 cents. You can see when the spreadsheet was issued, it was at 87.5 cents. So there was ample opportunity for anyone who had their fingers on the pulse to recognise Persons Mining as, a, as a, an opportunity and get on board. So what I'm going to do now is we're just going to go quickly into PowerPoint. We're going to have a, we're going to have a look at the performance of those shortlisted research stocks that we highlighted. Remembering Master Resources, Conquest Mining, Saracen, Adamus and A1 Minerals. On the right hand side of the slide we have a top 20 list of Australia's developing, advanced uh, developing companies. Uh, what we see when we have a look at the, uh, the return on investment that we've seen in the last five months our, our research stocks returned 45%. The comparative list of 20 companies returned 25%. The other important thing to note is all five of our research stocks featured in the top 10 performing uh, companies in that uh, comparative list. And if we include persons that obviously jumped to number one spot when we, uh, when we made those alterations according to the announcements that came out for persons, you see persons as the fourth best, you probably can't see that at the back, 
But I'll tell you, Perth's uh, share price went up 69% in that period, which made it the fourth best performing company on that list. So when you look at that, Goldman's has effectively highlighted six out of the top 10 performing companies in that comparative list. And I actually think that's, uh, that's a pretty meaningful result, and it just demonstrates uh, the effectiveness of, of the product. Why buy a Goldman's subscription? Mind B. Uh, you're getting a comprehensive list of Australian and North American gold companies with the latest information updated fortnightly. I can tell you some of our subscribers just buy the product just with a comprehensive list of information. They don't use any of the analytical tools that I've demonstrated, which I think is probably selling the product a bit short, but there's obviously a lot of value in having access to, uh, to such a comprehensive database of information in itself. Useful service that enables you to assess value effectively. I think one of the key strengths of a professional investor is being able to assess value, and I think the Goldman spreadsheet allows you to assess value very effectively. Uh, it allows for better coordination of research and saves investors time. I talk to a lot of investors on the phone and uh, you listen to how they arrive at companies to invest in and uh, sometimes there's not a lot of method to it. You know, you're getting stock tips from various newsletters, you're reading about something in the newspaper, you're, um, you know, you might be getting a tip from a mate as far as, you know, any, anything goes. What Goldman allows you to do is to better coordinate uh, your research and be a bit more methodical in your approach. Highlight the, uh, the items that are important to you or that are important to, to investing in gold mining companies and narrow that list down. And what, what results is you, you, when you make investment decisions, you're going to have a lot more confidence about the decisions you're making, having gone through this process of arriving uh, at the, uh, the companies to invest in. I want to stress this is not a stock picking service. Uh, you have access to tools and information which can help you independently make investment decisions. And I think that last point is the most important thing. I always like that saying, you can give a man a fish he eats for a day, teach a man how to fish he eats for a lifetime. Well, I consider Golden as the tool which is going to teach you how to fish rather than having to rely on newsletters that uh, are going to give you uh, tips. And don't get me wrong, I think financial newsletters are great, a great source of ideas, but there's nothing more empowering than to be able to take those ideas and assess them for yourself. And that's what Goldman's allows you to do. Goldman's is a dynamic product. We continue to come up with improvements to enhance the quality of the service. Version 3 will be released in 2010. I think I alluded to that earlier. And there's going to be some, uh, I'm really excited about that because there's going to be some great additions as far as the information is concerned. Price list, we have a professional version which you just looked at. It's $399 for, for 12 months. I'll say that I really do believe we're probably giving away the product for that price and we've had a lot of people tell us the same thing. There are comparative products in the market that uh, people charge thousands of dollars for. Uh, I guess we're targeting at the retail investor. We want the product to be affordable to you, your mum and dad investor and that's why the price is as reasonable as what it is. There's a standard version for $249 for 12 months. The key difference between the standard and the professional version is standard version uses market capitalization in working out uh, valuation. Uh, the professional version takes into account financial information and uses enterprise value in arriving at uh, different valuations for companies. If anyone wants to use it as an analytical tool, I'd strongly stress buying the professional version. Using enterprise value is a much more accurate way of comparing valuations of companies than simply using market capitalization. It's chalk and cheese in comparison. The standard version is useful if you just want access to some of the general, more general information about all the companies. Well, that's the way I see it anyway. 
North American version was released earlier in the year. It's a bit cheaper than the Australian version. Reason being, we're, uh, we're adding companies. It's only got 108 companies in comparison to the 300 that we've seen in the Australian version. So early days for the North American version and uh, quite a fair bit of work to do. But in saying that, I'll, uh, I'm sorry, I've gone over time. But uh, if you have any questions, feel free to shoot. You do byproduct mining at all? Do other companies produce base minerals and so on and gold and silver are byproduct or vice versa? Absolutely. We, our analysis concentrates mainly on, uh, on gold, so it ignores byproduct. At least this version of the product largely ignores byproduct. But in saying that, the next version of the product is going to, is going to start taking those byproducts into account and start to look at things in a, in a gold equivalent. Uh, way of uh, analysing the information. So it, it is a bit of a deficiency in the, in the current version of the product. But in saying that, uh, our focus is on gold, and um, I tend to like to look at byproduct as a bit of a bonus, really. So, um, yeah. If we've got any other quick questions, then um, we could deal with those. Otherwise, we'll, um, we'll need to break for lunch. Has anybody else who's got a, a quick question for Troy? I, I just want to know how you come to determine those weighting numbers. I've, I've got gold birds and I've played okay. it a bit. And I don't know whether I should put 100 or 90 or 80. Yeah, that's that's the thing. You can put any numbers you like in there. Like, you've seen what I used. Like, I used 100. 150. Yeah, again, the higher the, uh, the, higher the number, the, uh, the higher the weighting of importance to that particular factor. So I think it's just a case of trial and error and just probably playing with the, uh, the weights. You can also look at our customised weight settings will give you a bit of an indication as to you know the type of numbers that you can enter in there. But no, there's no in answer to your question, there's no hard fast rule. Uh, you just the the higher the greater the level of importance you place on that piece of information, the higher the number you enter. And when you um, give an update updated version, it doesn't update your original version, you, you discard the previous version and Save the new version, is that right? That's right. So a lot of you're saying a lot of you, you a lot of the changes you're making are wiped obviously when you download a new version of the yeah. spreadsheet. David, I might go to you on that one. David's developing software that will allow us to get away from Excel. That's going to be addressed, I take it, in the new version. Look, we've been very frustrated by the limitations of Excel. Um, we haven't marketed this product at all because we're not completely confident with the way we like it. Putting a lot more detail and a lot more customization and a lot more friendliness like that in a new version that's been built right at the moment will be ready early next year. Does it work equally well with Apple? <laughs> no. Unfortunately, uh, Microsoft's version of Excel on the Apple computer is quite different from the PC, or sufficiently different that they don't work, and the underlying way you program is so different that it's not worth trying to build. It had to be as much work again to build the Apple product. I'm sorry, but it's only a PC product at the moment. But if we get enough customers, enough revenue, we'll do a bit Apple, Apple version as well. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll call it quits there and break for lunch. Uh, please join me in um, uh, thanking uh, Troy very much for before you.